The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. A new ultimatum from President Biden to Vladimir Putin over the Ukraine threat, targeting one of Russia's most crucial exports. Sell the rumor. The stock Kathy Wood is unloading ahead of earnings this week. Doomed from the start. SoftBank scrapping its plans to sell a big chip maker to NVIDIA. Who do you like in the big game? The Super Bowl expected to break gambling records in New York is now on the books. And moves in bond land that have some investors feeling a little bit shaken and stirred. It is your morning RBI on this Tuesday, February 8th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. All right, it's looking like a nice little pop on your Tuesday today because stock futures, they are higher across the board. The major averages all up about three-tenths of 1% right now. Not big numbers gains, two to three-tenths, but we are in the green. And all this after a rare, quiet session for stocks on Monday where the Dow, it rose exactly one point. Kind of nice to not have the volatility for once this year. All right. Bonds, though, they have been on the move. The 10-year continues its creeping march toward 2%. It's yielding over 1.9 right now. Oil actually backing off just a touch, but still over 90 bucks a barrel, so well above where it was weeks ago. Get ready also, you know, to pay more at the pump because gasoline futures coming off their highest settlement since September of 2014. And in crypto, Bitcoin also on the move higher a little bit. It is just over 44000 bucks right now. The big moves, though, they are coming from overseas. European markets continuing to outperform ours with nice little gains from across the Atlantic. Let's find out more with Rosanna Lockwood in London. Rosanna. Morning, Brian. Nice little gains indeed. Yeah, the European markets, I think, taking some comfort from that quiet session stateside on Monday. Also a lot of green Asia on the handover too. FTSE 100 up by about half a percent. It's been up more in the session. The CAC has actually dropped off by about a percent. The DAX in Germany. The, Spain, the IBEX 35, the outperformer this morning. What's happening here? We had Madame Lagarde of the ECB pouring just a little bit of tepid water on this idea of rate hikes this year, speaking before the European Parliament on Monday, saying it's a little bit premature at the moment. So the market it's taking a bit of a breather. Let's take a look at uh, some of the sectors, though, and what's happening there because of interesting moves. Once again, banks performing pretty well. We've got interesting uh, BNP Paribas, the pre-provision profit, falling in France for that. So those shares have fallen this morning. However, you've got basic resources once again up above a 3%. It is one to watch with the Ukraine-Russia tensions unfolding. Tech, the only one down below the flat line, just down around 1.5%. But energy, all eyes 
eyes on oil, that tight oil supply market Brian mentioned at the top. Yeah. We also have BP reporting earnings today. The UK-listed firm actually posted its biggest annual profit in eight years as oil and natural gas prices surged. The $12.8 billion profit marking a roaring comeback. That's after a $5.7 billion loss in 2020 when the British energy giant had to write off the value of some of its fossil fuel assets. It was, of course, a very tough year for all the majors. But BP up around 1.5% in London this morning, Brian. Big numbers starting to pop from oil and gas. Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much. All right, now to another developing story this Tuesday morning. SoftBank and NVIDIA are scrapping their $66 billion deal for competitor Arm Holdings. They blame, quote, significant regulatory challenges. Instead, SoftBank will move to Plan B, and that is aiming for an Arm Holdings IPO within the fiscal year. It ends the end of March, and SoftBank and NVIDIA first announced the Arm deal back in September of 2020 in what would have been the industry's biggest ever merger. Regulators around the world almost immediately started sounding the alarm as ARM designs are used by nearly every chip maker in the world, from Samsung to Apple to Qualcomm. Joining us now to talk more about it is Financial Times Corporate Finance and Deals Editor Arash Masudi. Arash, welcome back. Uh, Normally, we would not talk about a deal like this, but this is important given all the supply chain and semiconductor challenges right now. What does a significant regulatory challenge mean? Well, it means that this transaction, which everyone thought from the beginning was going to be very hard to pull off, was basically impossible. You had basically the EU, the UK, the US, any any major regulator you can imagine in the world expressing serious doubts whether this deal should go forward. And the fundamental point was that NVIDIA was essentially picking up a part of the supply chain of its own supply chain, which would give it incredible amounts of power over its customers and the customers of ARM, which with, with whom which NVIDIA competes. And so this created a sort of existential threat from the outset of the deal that NVIDIA would essentially be supplying these chip designs to its own to its own competitors and whether they would be cut off from that access if it held arm. Obviously, also, it comes in the backdrop of just an incredible boom in NVIDIA's share price over the over the course of the pandemic. And as we come out of the pandemic, it's actually let off a bit. But NVIDIA is is, is really a company that's just jumped the, the front of minds of sort of power and technology leapfrogged Intel. In, in the U.S. and in the stock market, so this was a this was a sort of flexing of strength by its CEO Jensen Wang, and and it's all come undone. And and many people would have said this was very much clear from the outset that this would be the outcome. And it's not just here in the United States. The U.K. deals regulator has cast doubt on this as well. It's it's interesting to your point, Arash, that these companies would push forward like this when, to the point you just made. Any lawyer worth his or her salt should have probably advised them this deal was doomed from the start. From SoftBank's perspective, perhaps it was a risk worth taking, right? They had owned ARM since um, 2016 when they first struck the deal to buy it. uh, And they have really not succeeded in advancing that company. They made a bunch of commitments to the UK, which they held about growing the workforce and sort of keeping a lot of the identity of ARM. When they bought it, it was at the time of Brexit and the UK completely had an identity crisis and was like, okay, we'll just pawn off one of our most valuable assets to a foreign buyer because it'll show that the world is, still has confidence in the UK. But what they, what Arm, what SoftBank discovered along the way is that it's not good at operating businesses. And this fits with a broader narrative around SoftBank, around selling down its controlling stakes in companies. You'll think about Sprint and how they merged it with T-Mobile. So this has fit into Masa-san's desire to get away from operating businesses and just owning stakes in businesses. So from his perspective, Jensen comes along and gives him a cash and stock deal 
where he has upside on NVIDIA shares. And as you see, the deal was agreed at an initial value of $40 billion. At one point, it reached a value of $80 billion through the surge in NVIDIA's shares. And now today, we're reporting as a $66 billion deal. That's because of the share component. So Masa was basically taking the optionality on NVIDIA shares and thought that was an, a, good, a good thing to get. Now, they did also negotiate this break fee, which is why they're, they're going to walk away with $1.25 billion for their efforts yeah. and for their troubles on the SoftBank side. So in a sense, their lawyers probably are quite happy with the outcome, although Masa-san would definitely probably prefer to be an NVIDIA shareholder and this transaction happened. Now they have to go to plan B, as you said earlier. Arash Masudi, the Financial Times. Arash, a big deal, or I guess not a big deal in the works. Maybe the, the deal is the IPO. Arash, good to have you back on again. Thank you very much. Appreciate Great that. Great to see you, Brian. All right, we've got to go. So we've got some breaking news on Peloton. Some big news right now. The Wall Street Journal reporting that co-founder John Foley will be stepping down as CEO. He will stay at the company. He will be on as executive chair. The journal also saying that Barry McCarthy, who is now the former CFO of Spotify, not Netflix, will become CEO and president following Foley's exit. It is not just about executive changes, also a lot of cost cuts coming. Peloton will also cut about 2,800 jobs. That's about 20% of its corporate workforce to try to also cut costs as well. So uh, big changes there coming from Peloton. Co-founder John Foley, a former Barnes & Noble uh, executive who founded Peloton to much fanfare, will be leaving as CEO. He will stay on as the board. Another board member is leaving. A new CEO is coming in along with big cost cuts. Remember, this stock was $162 per share in late December of 2020. Everybody was talking about Peloton, stay at home, play at home, work from home. The stock soared. It is now under 30 bucks, and that's including a 20% pop yesterday on news the company may be sold. It is down just a touch in the pre-market, but John Foley is out as CEO. There's been a lot of hedge fund pressure on that stock. All right, when we come back, obviously more on Peloton, plus some of this morning's big money movers, including Kathy Wood unloading big amounts of one stock as they prepped to release their latest earnings. Plus, longtime Facebook ally and Zuckerberg supporter Peter Thiel taking his talents elsewhere. We'll explain. And then trouble for Tesla and CEO Elon Musk. He may have an SEC target on his back. We'll tell you why. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Imagine a beautiful afternoon. The sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your John Deere mower. The smooth ride lets you escape into your yard. Intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine. And with attachments for every season, you can enjoy it all year long. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. And this morning... 
It's inflation. Because we're going to be four, not three, stock stories happening now. Stock number one, Take Two Interactive. Net bookings, whatever that is, for the video game maker fell short of analyst estimates, as did the company's projections for the fourth quarter. Shares are down about 2% right now. On the conference call, CEO Strauss Zelnick says the pandemic boom in video games is, quote, dead. Stock number two, Chegg, popping 9% right now. The education company's fourth quarter results came in well above expectations. And Chegg's CEO says schoolwork eventually picked up. So did need for the company's services increasing throughout the quarter. Kind of makes sense, right? Schoolwork up, video game playing down. Amazing what happens when kids go actually back to the classroom and get off virtual. Anyway, stock number three, Simon Property Group. Fourth quarter profit revenue beating forecasts. Occupancy at malls and their premium outlets rose. Everybody's out there shopping these days. The company's guidance for the year, though, a little bit short of estimates. Stock down about 2%. And your bonus stock, that is stock four. Bye-bye, Twitter. Bloomberg reporting that ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood Sold nearly 4 million shares, worth about $142 million yesterday. That is the most in one day since at least May. And that stock is flat. We'll call it slightly down. All right, back down to the broader markets and your money. Stocks overall continuing the recent trend of kind of dramatic intraday swings. And your next guest says, while bullish sentiment levels are unusually low for the fourth straight week, history shows that could mean some sizable gains ahead for the market. Ryan Payne is president of Payne Capital Management. Welcome back, Ryan. Why do you say that? What do you what do you see under the hood of this market that makes you a little <laughs> bullish in the nearer or longer term? Well, I love being a contrarian, Brian. There's nothing that warms my heart than seeing investors nervous. Um, and that's really been the story. And I've been on your show for the last two years. It's just that that sentiment has never really gotten that bullish. And you're seeing really negative sentiment that goes back to like what it was in July of 2020. That's right after we had the pandemic, obviously, and we had stocks sell off like 40 percent. So obviously, investors were jittery. But we're seeing the same thing right now. And to me, it's juxtaposed against an economy that looks pretty hot. I mean, let's face it. The labor market's on fire, Brian. Um, You know, we saw 467,000 jobs created on Friday. That was way, way more than was expected. Um, We're seeing, you know, wages are going up significantly. But I also think it was really remarkable Uh, And the news on Friday was that productivity report. We had productivity go up 6.6%, which means companies are becoming more efficient because this labor shortage can be a big problem for a long time. It's no secret. So companies have to figure out ways to invest in automation, you know, technology. You know, I could see a day where we have this trucker shortage, right? We could have automation of trucks. I mean, it's all coming down the pipeline. Fair enough. But as we know, and as you know, the economy and the stock market are not the same thing. They're different things. And yes, the economy is doing well, but the stock market is facing higher inflation, higher rates. Maybe a lot of the you know retail traders who got burned in the dropout this year dropping out entirely. Ryan, how do we square the economy and the market? That's a great point, Brian. And I think it's more the tale of two markets, right? Because as rates are going higher, and they're definitely going higher here, inflation's real, the Fed didn't tell you the truth, and you've seen growth stocks take a significant hit here at the beginning of the year. You just mentioned Kathy Woods. Her fund's down 50% from its high. Um, You mentioned Peloton this morning, which is really just like a glorified Nordic Nordic track. Uh, That's down huge here. Um, But on the other hand, value stocks have held up well here, right? I mean, value's barely down for the year. And if you look at your traditional 
inflation hedges. You know, we've mentioned energy on your show a lot in the past. Uh, energy stocks are going through the roof right now. If you look at commodities in general, commodities historically are a tremendous inflation hedge. Uh, they're up for the year. So I think you know, it's important here that you transition your portfolio if you haven't done it already. Clearly, growth stocks don't do well when you have inflation going up. But more cyclical stocks that are more sensitive to the economy do very, very well. And we have a very euphoric consumer. We're coming into a time now where people are like, forget the virus. I'm going to go out. I'm going to live. That's going to bode very, very well for stocks that are most sensitive to the economy. Yeah, we're starting to see some of these mass mandates come down as well. It all kind of feels like we're coming out of this, at least in the Northeast. Half the country was never really in it. Ryan Payne, we appreciate you coming on. The optimistic view on a Tuesday. It's cold and rainy here, so we appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks. I'm here for you, Brian. All right, we've got a lot more to do on this Tuesday morning, and you're very welcome, Ryan. Still on deck, why it's not just the players hoping to score big in the Super Bowl. Ahead, Contessa Brewer is here with some new numbers with just how much all of you out there are expected to bet this Sunday. These are big numbers, and Big Money Brewer is here to bring them to you. Stick around. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back, and good morning. Five days and 14 hours until Super Bowl 56, and bookies from Sin City and the Empire State to FanDuel and DraftKings, they're all getting set because it could be a record-breaking turnout when it comes to online sports gambling. Contessa Brewer joining us now with just how big some of these numbers may be. How big, Contessa, are these numbers going to be? Are you ready for this, Brian? More Americans will bet more money on the Super Bowl this year than ever before. That's according to research estimates just released by the American Gaming Association. It predicts 31.4 million Americans will make a wager on the big game. That's up 35 percent from last year. And they'll gamble a whopping $7.6 billion. That's up 78 percent from last year. Why those giant increases? Well, since last year, 10 states have launched legal sports betting. That means 45 million more Americans can wager in their home state than could last Super Bowl. In total, bettors can legally wager on the big game in 30 states plus Washington, D.C., with three more states having legalized it, but not yet launched. One of those is Ohio, home state of the Super Bowl contenders, Cincinnati Bengals. So fans in Ohio can root on their team, but they can't place a legal bet on them at home. Well, that's okay. Neither can California fans of the L.A. Rams, nor any of the spectators at the actual Super Bowl. Research by SportsHandle.com suggests we'd see an additional $400 million wagered on this game if those two states had legal live 
digital betting. It also presumes 10 betting platforms, a game that's competitive until the fourth quarter and no major technical glitches, which, of course, is what the big sports betting names are all hoping for, Brian. All right, so let's talk about it. First off, I, you know, as uh, if you follow me on social media, I'm 15 and two in my last 17 bets, and I put them on Twitter before I bet. So it's not like I come back after the game. If I was in Cincinnati, like, what's the closest state? Is it Illinois? How far do I have to drive? And are we going to get to a point well, contest I mean, where right. every state or most states are going to have sports gambling? Is that coming eventually? Can we can we pull that map back up so that you can see? The thing is, we're at the point now in the United States where almost every American, even if you live in a state where you don't have live legal gambling, you could drive generally an hour and get to a place where you could gamble. There's the map. Look at Ohio. The map is up. Right. So you could go to you could go to Tennessee. You could go to Indiana if you're in Ohio. Unfortunately, look, Cincinnati's right on that border with Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't have live gambling. So there's no there's no going across the border there. But you, but you could drive to either state border and do that. We saw that in Texas when the infamous sports better Mattress Mac drove to Louisiana, which has just launched mobile sports gambling. He made a four and a half million dollar bet on the on the Bengals to win. That's partly a hedge to cover what he's offering for a furniture promotion to get people in the door to buy his furniture at a store in Houston. So he said it was worth the hundred dollar, uh, the hundred mile drive because normally he has to fly to Colorado. Bengals, by the way, a lock at four and a half to cover, but you got to get that extra half point. All right, here's my issue though on on the betting sites, and I've got a buddy of mine that you may know that owns a a sports gambling operation and casinos, Tillman. Who's winning the game, Contessa? Because it seems like they're all out-promoting each other. Come over to FanDuel, get $100. No, 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 go to DraftKings. No, 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 go to Caesars. They're advertising on TV. They're throwing money at us. Is anybody actually making money? Uh, yeah, well, not yet, uh, but it's coming. And we just heard from Penn Earnings this week. You had CEO Jay Snowden saying on the earnings call, they anticipate that their interactive efforts will become profitable, potentially even by football season later this year. That's ahead of some of the bigger competitors. We've heard 2023 from MGM, uh, from DraftKings. So so this is, you know, they're planning on being profitable. But the thing is, every time you launch a new state, that requires a lot of promotional and marketing expense. And so they go in. If uh, California, say they're about, there's already a tribal retail a sports betting issue on the ballot this year. But FanDuel and, and DraftKings are trying to get a ballot on there that would legalize a mobile effort as well. If that were to happen, you would see uh, profitability delayed because they would spend a lot of money to set up and, and launch in California. I mean, if you watch any sports, you can't go one commercial break without seeing an ad for, you know, Jamie Foxx for MGM, the Caesars guy, you know, for Caesars. It's unbelievable the amount of money, Contessa. <laughs> big money. You know I'm going to trademark Big Money Brewer, right? Have you already done it. that or can I, I get it. in line and then charge Go it ahead. back it's to my you, good Brian. friend Contessa Brewer? Contessa, yep, I like thank it. you. I love sports gaming, especially when we're winning. Contessa, drinks on me. Thank you. All right, straight ahead. And by the way, these are big. These are not small money bets like some CNBC anchors. These are big bets. All right, there goes my hero. Now the Foo Fighters are looking to steal the Super Bowl spotlight from the metaverse. And no, I wasn't going to sing it. Plus, 
your morning RBI and why something is happening in the bond market that has never, ever happened before. All right, your money on the move higher this morning. Stock futures are on the rise as oil falls just a bit. Breaking news on Peloton. The CEO is out. Major job cuts are reportedly coming. And President Biden threatening to hit Russia where it hurts in its wallet, warning the Nord Stream 2 pipeline will be a no-go. Moscow invades Ukraine. Could the move make Europe's energy crisis go from bad to worse? It is Tuesday, February 8th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. Just about 5.30. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. Here's how your money and investments look right now as we are about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour stock futures. They're in the green, not making huge gains, not going to make too much of it. Things could turn. Dow futures up 42, so they're about one-tenth or two-tenths of one percent. But they are higher all this after yesterday's one-point move for the Dow. Seems kind of nice in a way, though. After all the volatility we've had this year, just start the week. It's cold and rainy in the Northeast. Take a breather. There we go. All right. It's not just equities, though. Getting a boost this morning. Got crypto coming off a pretty wild session. It was volatile. Bitcoin hitting its highest level since January 5th this morning. It's down just a touch right now. But since Bitcoin never closes, it's kind of hard to say, is it up or down from any given point? Because there is no point at which it stops, unlike the market. Either way, just take a look at the price, figure out where you bought it, and you can decide if you are up or down. That's what matters. You. You all matter. We continue to watch shares of Peloton. We had some breaking news this half hour. Wall Street Journal reporting that co-founder John Foley is stepping down as CEO. He will become executive chair. Former Spotify and Netflix CFO Barry MacArthur will step, McCarthy rather, will step in, become CEO and president. He will also join the board. The Journal is saying that Peloton is also going to be cutting 2,800 of its corporate staff. Ouch. Tough day for those folks. Try to help cope with the drop-off in demand and widening losses at the company. Peloton also, sadly, dropping plans for a new factory in Ohio. Peloton stock not getting a boost on that news, although it did rise 20% yesterday on talk of a potential takeover. All right, now to some of this morning's other top corporate headlines, including billionaire Peter Thiel looking to make his exit from Facebook slash Meta's board. Let's find out why Bertha Coombs is here. Bertha. Brian Thiel making that announcement yesterday, saying that he will not stand for re-election to Meta's board at the company's annual shareholder meeting in May. The company is saying Thiel, an early Facebook investor and close confidant of CEO Mark Zuckerberg, will continue to serve on the board until the meeting. According to reports, he is making the exit to focus on advancing his pro-Tump political agenda in the 2022 campaign cycle. Guess is reportedly facing a call for its co-founders to be removed from the clothing maker's board. According to the Wall Street Journal, Legion Partners Asset Management is urging that Paul and Maurice Marciano be ousted. The journal says Legion cites acquisitions of uh, or accusations rather of sexual misconduct by multiple women against Paul and claims that Maurice turned a blind eye to his brother's behavior. 
And Tesla apparently cut a steering component from some of its cars as the EV maker worked to navigate the ongoing global chips shortage. Sources tell CNBC the company excluded one of two electronic control units in the steering racks of its Shanghai-built Model 3 and Model Y vehicles. Sources say Tesla employees decided against telling customers because the part is considered a redundant backup. This comes as Tesla revealed in a new regulatory filing that it received a subpoena from the SEC back in November in its ongoing conflict over Elon Musk's Twitter poll on selling some of his Tesla shares. Brian, the agency is seeking information on the company's governance process around compliance with a 2019 SEC settlement. That agreement stemmed from another Musk tweet on taking Tesla private. That was the infamous 420 tweet. Yeah, 420. That, that number always seems to float around Musk, Bertha. 420. Yeah, yeah sort April of in the 20, air. <laughs> four, yeah, it's in the air. Ah, damn it. Nice. Bertha, thank you. <laughs> Ah, she beat me to it. All right, now to the continued crisis in Ukraine and President Biden stressing unity with Germany's new leader as the West tries to rally to avert a war with Russia. Well, at least avert Russia invading Ukraine. In a meeting with Chancellor Olaf Scholz yesterday at the White House, Biden pledged to end the controversial Nord Stream 2 pipeline if Russian forces cross the border with Ukraine. While that crisis builds, the rest of Europe's got another big problem growing fears about their energy supplies. Natural gas, which powers much of the electricity and heat needed in Europe, is at dangerously low storage levels in Germany. Much of that is because Russia has slowed its feed of natural gas to Germany. According to IHS market, flows fell 44% from a year ago in January. So what happens if Russia does go into Ukraine? Well, Moscow's Stranglehold over European power caused NATO allies to back off or risk running even lower on the fuel that heats millions of homes. Michael Stoppard is chief global gas strategist at IHS Market, and he joins us now. Michael, uh, thanks for joining us. An incredibly serious and important story. First off, how bad is the storage situation for nat gas in Germany? I, I heard it was under 5% of normal levels. Uh, well, thank you very much for the invitation to join you, Brian. It's great to be on the show. This is a serious situation. Uh, European gas uh, storage levels and German gas storage levels in particular are below historical levels. They're well below average. They're below minimum levels. Um, so this is a matter of concern. It's a matter of great concern that's rattling the market. But I should say, and it's really important to emphasize, you know, we're already now getting close to the middle of February so the end of winter begins to be in sight. And as soon as the market can see an end of winter, that will provide some relief, I would say. Yeah, the weather is so key here because it drives Absolutely. so much demand. The weather getting colder, it gives Putin more power because Gazprom, which is ostensibly an arm of Putin's empire, can kind of adjust those flows if we see some kind of invasion into Ukraine, if the worst case scenario happens, is the rest of Europe pretty much neutered, Michael? Why would Germany do anything when they don't have a strategic interest in Ukraine, but they have a strategic interest in their own citizens not freezing to death? 
Well, first of all, I think it's worth just bearing in mind that we here in Europe are suffering very high gas prices. That's been the case for almost oh, six yeah. months now. Um, gas, international gas prices are five, six, seven times the level of gas prices in the United States. And that's being felt by power stations, by industry immediately. Uh, private consumers have been somewhat protected, but those prices are beginning to make their way through now into the bills that we all receive on a monthly basis. Um, so this, this is a very intense, very intense situation. But I think uh, any cutoff of gas through the Ukrainian corridor is manageable. And I think it's really important to understand that the importance of the Ukrainian corridor as a way of feeding gas from Russia to Europe has actually been declining over the last 20 years, um, year after year, as we look for other other routes of supplying Russian gas and, of course, other sources besides Russian gas coming into Europe. So there are many other alternatives. And with all due respect to our president, President Biden saying that basically he will end the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. For our viewers that are not familiar with this, just a reminder, it is a massive pipeline that comes from Russia to the northern part of Germany. It is an addition to the current pipeline they have. It's already built. It is not yes. just operational right now. Putin is desperate to get that going. And this may be part of why he's playing games in Ukraine. D does, the, does the United States... Or anybody, Michael, besides Germany, have the power, with all due respect to our president, to stop the pipeline? What are we going to do, blow it up? I don't know what our options honestly may be there. Yeah, so as you say, I mean, this pipeline is built and it's actually ready to go, but it does need to go through a regulatory process. Yeah, all parties are, it's not formally authorized yet to go. So that's going through a regulatory process that's expected to take another six months or so. So this has no direct impact today, um, but of course the argument has great uh, uh, implications for how we see the relationships between Germany and Russia and between the wider European uh, and Russian market. And it will be very important as we think about how to prepare for the coming winter. But all parties at this side you know, are concerned to respect yeah. business and contractual law here. Yeah, one year. And we've covered it, Michael, extensively on this program. We went to the U.K. in November. We talked about it one year ago. Spot natural gas prices were at 18 equivalent dollars. They're now at 80. Very quickly, do you see this being a short term or a long term thing? Well, of course, it, it does depend on how events in on the Ukraine border and between Russia and Ukraine pan out. But I think the underlying point is that those low storage levels you, men you mentioned at the beginning, those very low gas storage levels, they're yeah. going to be with us for a long time. It's going to be a long a mountain to climb to rebuild those stock levels under any scenario. Yeah, tough situation there. Not sure what the options really are. Michael Stepard, thank you very much. IHS Market, take care. All right, coming up, Pfizer set to report its latest results next hour. We're going to speak with one top analyst on the optimism that her firm has in raising its target on Pfizer. Is it all about the vaccine or something else? But as we head to break, some of the other key headlines that are happening right now, budget airline Allegiant facing a C-suite shakeup. Longtime CEO Maurice Gallagher will step down from the job as Allegiant's parent company. He will, though, remain chairman. He'll be replaced by his president, John Redmond, on June 1. The Biden administration officials saying they have reached a deal to essentially lift the 25% tariff. Former President Trump imposed that imported Japanese steel 
The agreement comes, U.S. steel prices start to pull back from record highs, fueled by incredible demand and supply constraints. And the Foo Fighters are set to take the stage on Super Bowl Sunday, but in the metaverse. Rolling Stone reports the band will play the VR concert after the big game. will include a brand new song from the Foo Fighters. Wow, big marketing stunt there. See if it works in what? Decentraland? We're back in a moment. Stick around. All right, welcome or welcome back. It's 5.43 on a Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us here on CNBC. Pfizer earnings are due out in just about an hour. Analysts expecting strong revenue for the quarter based largely on the company's strength and its, of course, COVID vaccine rollout, as well as its antiviral drug. But analysts will also be watching for what the company will be forecasting as they look ahead when COVID goes endemic, if it's not there already. Let's bring in Louise Chen, analyst at Cantor Fitzgerald. Louise, welcome. How big of a deal is the COVID vaccine, and, and you know, not to get into the medical part of it, but is this going to be an, an annual shot for millions of Americans, like forever? Um, I think that it is going to be an annual shot for the foreseeable future. I mean, I think the thing that we know right now is that immunity from the COVID vaccine and then also immunity from natural infection, they don't last forever. So I think an annual revaccination or some sort of schedule will be important over time. And then there are populations in the United States, either very young or very old that I think, or immunocompromised where they would benefit from an annual revaccination and probably see something very similar to flu roll out over time. So could it be a situation, Louise, where literally we go to like Walgreens and we get a, you know, a COVID vaccine shot and a flu vaccine shot, you know, every November, something like that? Yeah, I think we could see that. And I think a lot of the companies are doing trials wow. where they show that it's safe to do both of them at the same time. And maybe over time, what some of these companies are thinking of anticipating doing is putting all of that together into one shot. Wow. So that's the franchise there. And, and listen, there's a lot of people out there that'll say that the whole thing is just a money driven. I mean, it's don't go down the rabbit hole to Twitter. Uh, but how big of a revenue generator is the COVID vaccine, how big is it expected to be, Louise? How much money does Pfizer actually make on it? Okay, so that's a harder um, onion to peel back. But right now, the Pfizer vaccine is partnered with BioNTech. So from a profit perspective, it is 50-50. But from an annual sales perspective going forward, this year, probably $36 billion. Next year, already contract for $31 billion, $31 billion of doses, meaning this year in 2022, last year, 36. And then going forward, I think it can sustain tens of billions of dollars of sales. And from a fact set consensus perspective, people are looking at something for, um, you know, vaccine to be about $8 billion of sales in 2026 or so. So I think there's a lot of upside to where street expectations are at for Pfizer's COVID franchise. Wow. What about the antiviral? How much could that be worth? We don't hear a lot yeah, about so it. Um, yeah, not yet, but we will. So the antiviral, basically right now, um, I think there's over $7 billion of doses that are contracted. Not all of it is public. So this is sort of an estimate based on what we see publicly. Right now, FactSet Consensus has it at $22 billion of sales out of a total of $100 billion of sales for Pfizer in 2022. So I think this could be a very big product as well. Something similar to what yeah. we see uh, for Tamiflu and some of these other um, products. And also because of its long shelf life, it actually could be stockpiled by governments. And I think we're going to see that over time. You know, and we forget because we've been almost singularly focused on the pandemic for the last two years for good reasons and other reasons. 
Louise, we forget there's a lot of other bad stuff out there. You know, obesity's up, diabetes is up, cancer rates are up, depression. I mean, it's, a, it's there's going to be a lot of medical problems to come. What about non-COVID things for Pfizer, treatments for things like cancer? You could have millions of early deaths from cancer and diabetes alone. Do they have any franchises there? Yeah, they have actually a lot there. And I think that's not being brought to the forefront because of the focus on the oral antiviral and the vaccine and everything's just COVID right now, but they have an RSV vaccine and that should be for adults and for infants. And what's really interesting is they've actually have a maternal vaccine. Uh, they have a company that they're about to acquire, Arena, that has a product, Estrezomod, for ulcerative colitis and atopic dermatitis. They recently acquired a company, Trillium Therapeutics, for their anti-CD47 for solid tumors and heme malignancies. And this could be a good oncology backbone. We'll see what the data shows over time. They're working on a yep. universal flu vaccine, and then they're probably going to expand their mRNA platform. They announced a couple of deals this year on that front that I think we'll see a lot from that coming in the future. Yeah, yeah we, we forget, and shame on us, there's a lot of really bad stuff that's that's also out there uh, that we're going to have to deal with. Louise Chen, really appreciate it. And they got earnings coming out. Thank you. We'll see you soon. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and why betting big on corporate bonds has proven to be, well, a a giant bust so far this year. Our friend Jeff Kilberg will comment on that and connect the dots on the markets, inflation, and maybe even the Cincinnati Bengals. Kilberg, next. All right, welcome back. Time now for your morning RBI. And today, let's talk about bonds, corporate bonds. Because while stocks overall have had a pretty lousy start to the year, it's been just as bad on the debt side for investors, specifically company debt, because their bonds have largely been shaken and stirred in 2022. In fact, right now, the biggest bond index is on pace for its worst year ever. That's right. According to Charlie Bellello and Compound Capital, doing great work, by the way, thank you, Look at this. It is the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, and you're looking at that going, what? I know we don't talk about it a lot, but it's a big deal. It's an index of investment-grade debt. It's not junk. The AGG ETF worth about $80 billion, and many investors benchmark against this. And so far this year, it's down 3% and just hit a new 52-week low. That would make it the worst year ever if we closed the year out today, again, according to Compound Capital. Here's your returns. I know it's early, but so far, that index is down 3.1%. In 1994, it fell 2.9%. 2013, 2. Last year, it actually did fall. And in 1999, it was down under a percent. And I know 3% does not sound like a lot to you in Stockville. But in Bondland, it's quite the villain. Because going back to when that index was founded, all the way back in 1977, when you're trusty host was running around as a toe-headed six-year-old, the bond market benchmark index has only had four down years. Four down years in 45 years. The ones I showed you, that's it. That's why people and companies invest in bonds. They are perceived as safe and boring because they don't go down very much, not this year. And it's because interest rates are rising, and not just here, but in the Europe, the Europe, Europe and the UK as well, which means our bonds now have global competition for Wall Street dollars. To be fair, this is not a big deal yet. Long way to go. But with trillions in bond dollars on the line, it could become one. If it does, you can say you knew it was random but interesting before, well, almost anybody else. Our thanks to Compound Capital. 
All right, let's stick with this and bring in our friend Jeff Kilberg, Chief Investment Officer at Sanctuary Wealth, CNBC contributor, and no doubt somebody that's going to come in packing his own RBI this morning. I heard something about the Bengals and some historical reference you got, brother. What is it? Well, let's, let's give a little love to Joe Burrow this morning. I'm rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's because I'm from the Midwest, Sully. Nothing against my folks out in L.A. But Joe Burrow, I think he will be smoking a cigar after that game. But if you look at 1982, that was the last year we had inflation readings to the extent we have. So economists are forecasting this Thursday CPI to be 7.3%. That was actually the last time the Bengals we're in the Super Bowl. So a lot going on here this weekend, no doubt about it. But I think this inflation component, that really distracted markets. We've heard so much from Fed Chairman Powell. We've seen so much talk about interest rate hikes. Now we're hearing from some folks, it goes up every day. Five hikes, six hikes, seven hikes. I'm not in that camp, Sully. I think it's Ridiculous. a one-two punch. No. It absolutely is. And that's from a lot of academia, a lot of folks who've never managed money. But I do see two to three hikes. And I think the Fed has something going on their side. For the first time, we've seen just a little bit of slowing in used car sales. So I think inflation does come off. They are going to be forceful. They did change their rhetoric. But at the end of the day, the ironic thing here, Sully, is that the Fed is still buying. They're buying $30 billion this month. So it is kind of uh, almost you want to chuckle a little bit to see how this shift has happened so fast. But I am constructive. I am positive. I think we're, again, back-focused on earnings. And earnings are mad because dividends are being paid out, buybacks yeah. are happening, and strength overall in earnings, the beats that we have seen. It's really optimistic and positive. So I know there's a ton of volatility. I know it's going to be quite the battle on Sunday with Joe Burrow. But nonetheless, yeah. I am betting, and I know you've been betting on Twitter a little bit, so let's maybe have a little side bet, a little stake in New York. Winning. So it's been a while. No, because I'm on your side, brother. I'm 15 and 2 in FanDuel, by the way, so I'm buying. I'm bing. I laid, I just want to be honest, I laid money down, not current money, real money. Sorry, Joe. Uh, at Bengals four and a half. I think that half points can be key, but I'd love to see the Bengals and Burroughs Magic win, by the way, as a Chargers guy can't get behind the Rams. Anywho, that aside. We just talked about the bond market, Jeff, going down. Yields are going up. How does that impact stock investors? They're watching that RBI going, Sully, that wasn't very good, but it matters. That's why I brought it up. It, it does matter. Look at LQD. Look at HYG, corporate bond ETFs, big slugs of money. We're talking about $35 billion in each one of those ETFs. And yes, they're down 4 or 5% year to date. So it does make a difference. It's the velocity. We talk about this a lot here on your show, Sully, the velocity of the bond move. I don't see the 10-year note going above 2%. I think it'd be short-lived over 2%. We have to digest this, this change in rhetoric. Again, the Fed is still accommodative. Their balance sheet, it's at $9 trillion. If they go back to the way that they were reducing their balance sheet back in late 2017 of $50 billion a month, let's just say they double it, Sully, to $100 billion a month. In 12 months from now, they're still going to yeah. be at $8 trillion. So that accommodation, that liquidity, and that's one thing that's really been revealed, Sully, this earnings season. We are seeing corporate America flush with cash. We're seeing banks flush with cash. So this cash, yes, it could cause some problems when we have to pull it out, but there's no way the Fed is going to make a misstep. I know yeah. they're beating their hawkish chest, but it's not going to happen to the extent they are. They're just talking tough. Yeah, it's like that that Bugs Bunny. Remember that the chicken hawk or what? You know, constantly bragging, but then too afraid. You know, I can't leave the nest. I don't know. I, I think you're right, Jeff. I bet with you, but we're on the same team. If we get if we get more than three rate hikes, uh, I'll take you to dinner. How about that? And that's and I never Fair enough, Jeff Sally. Kilberg. I look forward to seeing you. In, look forward to seeing you in person. Kilberg calling the Bengals and the Fed chicken hawks.
That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange, everybody. We will see you same time tomorrow. Have a great Tuesday. Worst day of the week, by the way. If you can make it through Tuesday, you've got this. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.